On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Gavin Levy. He's worked primarily in skilled nursing settings, and he is more and more passionate about what he does every day. Uh, He's still in the early stages of his SLP journey, but he's a strong sense of determination and believes many things are possible through hard work, continued growth of knowledge, and an inquisitive nature. And I love this conversation with Gavin and actually how it all came to be was uh, he just stopped me at the ASHA convention and we got talking and he said, I would love if you could talk about this on the podcast. And we kept going back and forth a little bit. And I said, well, but I love your ideas. I said, why don't you come on the podcast and talk about it? And he was like, just could not believe that. And he was shocked. And I said, but no, that's what this podcast is all about. Like, I love having SLPs that are curious about other things and want to hear other sides of stories. And so this this interview or this podcast episode actually turned into sort of a reverse interview where he is sort of interviewing me. Uh, so Gavin is a skilled nursing facility SLP, which is what I was for many, many years. Um, and he just talks about his trials and tribulations of getting instrumentals, what the report tells him. Um, so it's an interesting conversation. I loved every minute of it because of my experience working as a skilled nursing SLP, but then also providing mobile fees to skilled nursing facilities. And now I'm back working in acute care. So I have that perspective of doing the modifieds and sending the reports to skilled nursing facilities as well. So um, it's definitely a full circle conversation. And I hope you all learn a lot. And we actually turned this into a three-part series because (laughs) there were so many, uh, so many great points and and great topics that we wanted to to cover. And Gavin and I discovered that we could just talk all day about this topic. So I hope this is enlightening for you. I hope you see other perspectives, other sides of the story of some frustrations in our field and and maybe give some SLP colleagues some grace <laughs> as to why some some protocols are the way that they are. So again, hope you all enjoy this episode. And Gavin, I enjoyed talking with you so much on this. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. All right. Good morning, Gavin. Morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You want to tell the people a little bit about yourself? It, I will I will tell them just a little bit okay. um, because I got a lot to try and get through today. Okay. So I'll just say um, I'm a speech therapist. I'm a fifth year therapist and I work in a skilled nursing facility uh, here in central Florida. Uh, and I'm originally from Alabama. Okay. So that was a joke. That yeah, was my fully, joke. I was going to say, you don't have a Florida accent. So, <laughs> yes. No, I'm, I'm from England originally. And what I, one thing I'd like to say, actually, is how this all came about. Because I bumped into you. I saw you at ASHA. 
uh, in New Orleans uh, last year. And um, I came up to you and I have been listening to your podcast, you know, for many, many years. And I think I've heard every, every podcast there is. And I said, you know, I love the podcast. And I said, there's a topic I would like to hear discussed. And I thought you would say, okay, well, thank you very much. And you said, what did you say? I said, well, great. Come on and talk about it. And I said, no, I'm not coming on. I said, I just want to hear that discussed. And so I'm very grateful to be here. The way I've done this topic today, and if I can you know, introduce it, it's, yeah. it's basically, it's based on an essay that I wrote. So I wrote an essay basically to myself and I called it Swallowing Instrumentals through a critical thinking prism. And the idea was for me having questions as a speech therapist working in the skilled nursing in regards to instrumentals. And I wanted to have somebody who does the instrumentals kind of rebuttal or reply to some of my questions. I did look at this with a couple of friends, but we never, we never got round to the other half of the essay. So you're going to hear me read a little bit today because I am using, I kind of put 10 sections together. We'll see how far, far we get. But the, the questions will kind of be coming through you. So I'm going to kind of interview you today. Yep. Sounds good. I'm <laughs> okay. excited. Yeah. So, so the first topic is weighting the swallowing instrumental. So we, we like to say, and I firmly am a big believer in swallowing instrumentals, that swallowing instrumentals are the gold standard. And so we would like to say that our swallow studies are worth their weight in gold. And I'm going to say that maybe some are not weighted as equally as others. So let's use, let's use an example. So let's say there's a speech therapist or a patient having a modified barium, let's say, in the acute care setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they're there, there's penetration noted with thin liquids and the patient's put on a mildly thick diet, let's say, on regular textures. Um, so mildly thick. And then the patient arrives at the skilled nursing or long-term care facility. So now the speech therapist there has a look, does their bedside screen, does their Yale swallow protocol maybe, does their cranial nerve exams, and they don't see any overt signs and symptoms. So now they've got some decisions, they've got some choices to make. So they see this patient on a nectar or mildly thick liquids. They can go along with the speech therapy report and they can keep the patient on the mildly thick liquids. They could attempt to reach out to that SLP at the acute care hospital and just have a discussion. Hey, what was the the reason for this? What did you know? How did you come up with this? And sometimes that can be back and forth. That could take days. That may take longer. They can start the patient on the mildly thick as recommended on the swallow study and they could do some therapy and then they could order another swallow instrumental. Or seeing no justification, they might just put monitor as needed and have the patient on thin liquids as they didn't see a justification for your thoughts. Yep. So I have so many thoughts. So I love this. So I, I'd say the first thought that comes to mind is really is the patient. So how is the patient presenting cognitively? Is there a lot of family involvement? Going based on just what you said, obviously, I haven't seen the report. I haven't seen anything. I would question just putting them on thick and liquids because of penetration. If it's penetration only, I would still continue with thin. That being said, I did not see the report. I did not see the video. That's just my first off the cuff thought. The second thought is, 
talk to the patient and the family and present everything to them. So the third thought that I have is I did an episode with um, Dr. Paula Leslie and Dr. Marty Brodsky, oh gosh, maybe a year or two ago. And Dr. Paula Leslie said some things that, you know, sort of didn't cause an uproar, but really ruffled some feathers. Um, what, what does she say? She says, clutch, clutch their pearls. Um, but it was that really, if in this situation, the hospital SLP should not be making the recommendations, the recommendation should go back to the SNF SLP because they're the one that sees how the patient presents every day. So her argument was that, you know, the hospital SLP does the study, writes what they saw, writes the interpretation, the anatomy, the physiology, and leaves it up to the treating SLP to make those decisions. So I love that because I've been on both sides. I've been the the SNF SLP. I've been on three sides. I've been the SNF SLP treating SLP. I've been the SNF SLP that's been doing the fees. And I've been the hospital SLP doing the modifieds too. So I see all perspectives. But I think what's most important here is that that gives that autonomy back to the SNF SLP to make those decisions. And I think you can feel confident making the best decision because you do have the report, but you also talked with the patient and the family too, and just said, Hey, this is what we're, this is what we saw in the report. This is what we're seeing today. You know, what, what decision do you guys want to make? I support you. We can, you know, get another study down the road. We can continue to monitor. But I think sort of once I allowed myself to put the scenario back on the patient and the family and not feel like I had to make the sole decision, I think it made made me feel a lot better, but also is a lot better for the team, too. And the patient feels yeah. more empowered by allowing them to make the decision. Obviously, there's a lot of caveats involved with cognition and family involvement and things like that. But um, those are my three pieces. I hope that hope that helps. Yeah. And. And I want to say that I think that when people are working, because I've never done the acute care setting, that they, just like us, are running around extremely busy, have so many things to do. So I want to put that out there because there's many factors as to why there may be sometimes less information on a Swallow study. However, having said that, if I was to see something that just had penetration with thin liquids, it doesn't really give me enough information to go on if I don't know, well, how many times did that happen? Right. How much? Right. What is the reason we are recommending a mildly thick liquid? Yep. So I kind of, I got this um, from Dr. Ionessa Humbert, who has the STEP program, and she used to have her podcast down the hatch as well. And they talked about three sections, and I kind of see it this way when I see a swallow instrumental. So we get one that just talks about bolus flow. So you're going to see, you know, penetration or aspiration on thin liquids. And that's literally the information you get on that swallow instrumental. Then we get another one that will have physiology as well as bolus flow. So it might say poor epiglottic inversion residue in the vellecular, but it doesn't connect the two together. They're listed separately. So you still don't really know how is that supposed to be connecting to that. And then the one we really love to receive is the one that's going to connect the physiology to the physiological, to to the impairment, and then give you the why and put it all together. So it's almost like you get, you have those three stages. And so when, and I've, you know, as I've listened to your podcast and I love it and I hear you say the gold standard to me, number three 
that is the gold standard. That is what I want. And that's the one that gives us all the information that we can then take in the skilled nursing setting and go, right, we're off and running. Yeah, I agree. But the reason I do raise it is that I've heard this topic for years. And if you go back to Langmore, Susan Langmore, if you go back to Bonnie Martin Harris, this challenge was talked about 10, 20, 30 years ago. And it still seems to be somewhat of a significant challenge today. Yep. So how do we then, you know, how do we fix that? Or how do we, I guess, have that more consistency in what those, and I think there are many reasons, right? Like we said, people are extremely busy. Time is a factor, you know, and there are lots of other factors we'll talk about today. But have we made we've made significant progress in technology, right? In terms of what you can do, but have we made that in terms of how the swallow instrumentals look, you know, in, in what we're putting out there? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's very tough to be honest. I, I will say as, as an SLP who did mobile fees for the sniffs, and then now I'm working PRN in the hospital doing modifieds for sniff residents that come in it's a really interesting dichotomy, to be honest, because I love the autonomy of having my mobile fees company because I created that report. Right. And I, I could write whatever I wanted on the report. I could order it. However, it, the best part that I loved about that was that I ordered it the way that my brain wanted to read it. And exactly like what you said, bolus flow, physiological impairments, tie it all together, wrap it all up in a pretty bow, voila. And then what I'm struggling with at the hospital is the way that their report template looks like. And I just, I'm struggling with it, to be honest, because I can't, I can't relay what I want to say in a way that I would want to read it and receive it. So it's probably, you know, it's, it's, it's confounding factors, right? Like you're not being able to read it the way that you want to read it. And I'm not able to write it the way that I want to write it too. So um, it's something that I want to work on myself is figuring out a better template for the hospital so that I can write a stronger report. Cause I'm not happy with the reports that I've written lately um, for a myriad of reasons, but the one is just the organization. It just doesn't, as someone who would, would be receiving right. them, it doesn't flow well to me. So I know that's sort of passing the buck, but um, that's where I'm at today. <laughs> so. so I'm going to, I'm going to say one last thing on, on this section that I think yeah. is going to make, you jump out of your chair and your your hair's going to stand on end. Oh, good. But, I'm excited. But let me go through it first. Okay. Let me go. <laughs> I'm going to say, is it possible that we are better off at times without the objective swallow tech? Is that possible? And let me kind of go through the scenario. So let's yeah. imagine again, you have somebody that has no swallow impairments, they have penetration, right? To some extent, lesser extent, um, but nothing significant. And they are put on a mildly thick liquid. Now they end up going to a skilled nursing facility where maybe you have a brand new therapist or you have somebody with less knowledge, right? At times. And so the patient, the therapist goes, well, this, you know, they came on this, this is the objective test and this is where they're going to stay. So now this patient stays on that nectar thick liquid and maybe that happens for two years for three years when in fact they never needed to be on that in the first place and we all know that happens at times now that can happen to be fair that could happen anyway right there's absolutely 
skilled um, speech therapists in skilled nursing who will sometimes put a patient on a thicker liquid without a test that doesn't need to go there. So we know it happens that way. But once you have the objective test, it may follow them around. And now maybe they go to home health and someone else says, yep, there's the test. So we'll leave them on the thickened liquids. Yeah, I, I think I think the important piece here is for the SLPs to understand how dynamic this is, right? I think about, yeah. like you said, sometimes these modifieds can follow people around for years. And that's insane to think that somebody today is presenting functionally the same way they were a year ago. That's bananas to me, you know, especially now that I'm back in acute care. Sometimes we do repeat swallow studies the next day if their functions improve. Right, right. You know, so it's, I, I think as SLPs, we need to, obviously we're advocating as much as we can to get these studies done, but they, we have to not just accept something that was done forever ago if what we're seeing at bedside doesn't match that. If we think the patient is cognitively or, or just functionally presenting much stronger, I think on the flip side of what you said, something that, that I, <laughs> that I think is important too, is to talk with the patient about what these results might show. And if it's not something that matters to them and they're not going to have their liquids be thickened or want to modify diet anyways, then there's absolutely no point in doing it. Uh, and I think sometimes I've, I've done a few studies before where I've presented the results to the patients and they're like, oh no, I'm not doing that. And it's like, oh crud, I guess we should have discussed this ahead of time. You know, had I known that despite the results, despite what we found, you do not want to alter the treatment plan whatsoever, um, then that is sort of a waste of resources. And I, don't, and I don't know if that's sort of exactly what you were getting at, but that's what popped in my head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And move, move, so I'll move on to, to another section, which section two I called competency. What is considered SLP competency for administrating a swallow instrumental? So in the past, I think a number of hospitals, it was very hard to get into acute care hospitals, right? It was considered like almost impossible. So maybe they required you to have the MBSIMP. They required previous experience, right? Which, of course, you can't get until you have experience. But now I think it seems that maybe there's a shortage. I'm not sure. But it's not as hard to get into an acute care setting. There are more opportunities I think, for people that don't have the background, that don't have the training. And so if you go into the acute care setting, some will ask for 15, 20, 25 passes, right? I think is that the right term? It, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of different spectrums. And, and I'll say here that th this really does rely heavily on the person that's granting the competencies, whether that's... Right a lead SLP or whether that's somebody that's hired. But I think what's so important is that we cannot follow those hard and fast rules. We cannot say you'll be competent after 25 studies. Right. Um, I've done fees training. I've done fees competency training for people before. I've had some people that after, you know, 15, 20, they are golden because they had a solid foundational understanding of swallowing. They've done modifieds in the hospital for years. I had somebody that took over 50 passes to get to competency. It just took her a little bit longer to, to get there. Um, you know, and in the, in the hospital too, I'm going through it myself and it's, you know, it's tough, but I appreciate that they aren't sticking to a number. You know, this is sort of what we would like for you, for you to be comfortable to be competent at, but it's, it's not up to me. It, it's up to, you know, the lead feeling confident that I can, I can interpret and write a good report. So, 
Um, I, I really just wish that the people that that were granting the competency were a little bit tougher because I know some people that will just, you know, watch them do five, six studies and sign off and say they're competent and it stinks because then then we see the ripple effect of that down the road. So I know there's obviously time and resources involved, but it, it needs to it needs to be more more complex. So that's that's perfect because that that kind of answers half my question. So it's really in this section what I was what I was asking myself is well how is competency being measured? So let's say the supervising, and I'm just giving scenarios, but let's say the supervising SLP is not a big proponent of anatomy and physiology. So how are they going to judge if what their colleague is doing is right or wrong? Well, what if you did those 15 or 20 fees or modifieds and you didn't have support? Maybe it was done virtually and now you're kind of left to your own devices. What if that SLP hasn't developed their clinical thinking process yet, their critical thinking process, I should say? Or what if they haven't developed enough skills yet in their physiology and anatomy? So I guess those are some of the questions I had in terms of what is competency? Like you just said, who decides you're now competent? Because as one hospital might say, well, you've done your 20, off you go. Yeah. And like you said, another might say, no, you, you need you need more and we're going to work with you to get you to where we want you. Yep. Yeah, I, I wish there was, I don't know, not that I'm a fan of, of more oversight and more red tape, but in this instance, I am a fan of more oversight uh, because I just think it, it, it does nothing but hurt the patients, right? If we're just signing off on people that really don't have a solid understanding of the anatomy, the physiology, like you said, the bolus flow, the physiological impairments, the ability to interpret, make recommendations, you know, we're, it's a disadvantage for our patients. And, it, and it, to be honest, it looks bad on the entire field because, you know, we're only as strong as our weakest link, right? So, you know, we've all seen cruddy reports, we've all seen cruddy studies, and it stinks because it, it's just a, a waste of time and resources. So I think, you know, something... I've just tried to take a lot, a lot more personal responsibility, right? You know, even if somebody does sign off on you, right? do you really feel like you are super competent and confident in what you're seeing and your ability to relay that in a report? And I think that's where it's important to have sort of a group of colleagues that you can be open and honest with and say, hey, will you, will you check out this report for me? You know, send them a de-identified report and just say, hey, you know, what do you think? Did I miss something here? You know, I have a great group of, of friends that we send videos to. We send reports to, you know, totally de-identified, but to figure out, you know, did I miss something? Am I on the right path? Did I word this right? You know, would the doctor be happy with this? And I think having that personal responsibility is, is I think, part of our ethical responsibility, too, and, and not just saying, oh, I'm competent, but I still can't write a good report. So, you know, but I'm competent. So good luck. You know, I, I just don't think that's. And I, and I like that idea because I think, I think it's the same for us in the skilled nursing. When we come in, we have limited knowledge. And I've heard you talk a lot about school and what we learn in school and what we don't learn in school. And we all know that when we come out, we've really got our driver, our driving wheels on right our learner driving wheels on we're not we're not there we're just beginning our careers and so I think to be fair it's it's the same for people who are doing the instrumentals for SLPs doing the instrumentals and they should be given we have to be given some slack we have to be given time to learn and to grow 
I will go back to that first section where we see the report that says penetration on thin liquids, which is not uncommon. I am not in any way saying that's every instrumental, but it's more than we want to see. We're receiving those reports at times. And so then I would go back and say, well, there are probably some SLPs who keep growing, like you said, and they're like, I've got to get stronger. I've got to get better. Um, I was talking to somebody recently who's doing her 25 she has to do 25 and she said she's just going she's studying she's doing everything to just make herself stronger so there are people doing that but are we all doing that right 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 and if you go to like rinky desai who you know you've interviewed with rinky i met her recently at the conference and then you know she does she's the president of sig 13 and she talked about instrumentals and she was saying, no, are we being trained sufficiently? And at times, probably not. Not everybody is being trained to that same level. And like sometimes that off you go and out you go. Yeah. So that would, that's anything else on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a huge problem, you know, and I, and I don't know that we're going to solve that in a day unless we come to, you know, some sort of like certification that has test that has, you know, actual real life people, you know, approving your passes and things like that. I mean, it could get complex, but is that where we need to go? I, I don't know. You know, is that a, there, there's a lot, I, there's a lot of problems in the world. I don't know that I can solve all of them, but <laughs> right. um, I, I just think, you know, there's some wonderful companies out there that do, that do great competency passes. They also have advanced writing courses. You know, I think it's just, I think it's got to be back on the clinician. I think the clinician just has to take responsibility for it. It's part of our ethical duty. I think, you know, as much as we can say, well, you know, ASHA needs to do this or we need to have this put into place. Yeah, you know, that might help, but that's going to be way far down the road before it even happens right. if it does happen. And I think in the meantime, all we can do is just be open to, you know, criticism, constructive criticism from our peers and and being willing to listen and, and sort of group think through some of these things because they're not easy, right? You know, I mean, a lot of this stuff, there's, you know, there's different images, there's different technologies that people use and your eye might be trained on a different system. And and so having, I think, a second set of eyes and being open to accepting that criticism, I think is just really the best way at this point. I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful now I'm working on a team at a hospital and it's so wonderful to have a team of other SLPs to say, what are you seeing? Are you seeing this? You know, does this sound right to you? And and I mean, they bounce things off of each other all the time and it's wonderful. And I think, you know, maybe that's the answer. Maybe different hospitals and nursing home groups need to just sort of do like a group, you know, report writing constructive criticism day or something. I can't think of how, how to word that, but, but just saying, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe try to get a little more education in this area, or maybe consider writing this a little bit differently, or, you know, consider these impairments. I think the more that we can just sort of offer that for each other is the best, I think, temporary solution, the best band-aid we can do at the time. And I think, and I don't know if this is fair to say this, but in anything in life, I think we have a degree of passion or we don't. Yes. So you might have a very, very passionate speech therapist right in any setting or you might have another that says look i'm not being rude but i'm here for my paycheck we see that in other professions we see it to some extent in our own so that might 
dictate how far you're willing to grow and how far you're willing to get to get even stronger on the on on the third section because i want to defend you know what slps are doing because i'm in awe of people that are doing objective tests you know that's a knowledge i don't have that i would love to grow into but um and that's administering the um, instrumental and talking about time constraints yeah because that's got to play a role so if we go for SLPs across all settings we know that the question of time constraints comes up time and time again right for all of us Um, and then regarding objective testing such as modified barium we know it we know that the radiation is a very low dose but there's still the exposure radiation concern so it seems and you can correct me here if I'm wrong that most modified for that reason seem to be about a minute or less is that about right in my experience, they are longer. Um, I, okay. think, I think the hospital that I'm at now, I think is about two to two and a half oh, okay. minutes, uh, which is nice. Okay. But, I, but I will also jump in and say, as someone that did fees for so long, I do. I'm like, crap, I really want a longer study. Like, I want to see how they do with this. I want to see how they do with that. And, and we're just just limited by the resources. So that's a very real and valid problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have seen the ones I usually get are not quite as long, but okay. So we'll say one, two minutes in that ballpark, maybe a bit longer. And so there's a time constraint there off the bat, right? And what they, what you could do and what you're not going to get to do. And then if we talk about fees, we touch base on this a little. So I'm going to, you're going to push back a little bit for me, but some patients from what I've seen, are not going to tolerate testing for long periods sometimes because maybe the flexible nasal endoscope up their nose is not so comfortable. And so sometimes there's a mixed result, but I'll let you talk about that in a moment. So without diving too deeply, what role does time constraints play in objective testing? And can they in any way, in your opinion, impact the validity of the results? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can say that with a resounding yes. Um, I, I think I've got a few points I want to make. I think going going to fees and you know having the scope up the nose, it's it's so patient specific. You know, I mean, some patients it's like a walk in the park. They don't even feel the scope. They're totally fine to eat an entire meal and be there for forty five minutes. <laughs> to be honest, you can get the right. longest study with some patients. Of course, there's other patients that are screaming, "Get this thing out of my nose!" and you're done. Right? So. Um, it absolutely impacts that. And I think that's what's important. It's important to have those relationships between the endoscopist and the treating SLP to be able to say, you know, hey, I know we only got five trials in. This is what happened to the patient or this is what the patient said. You know, I think being able to have those open and honest conversations helps helps the treating SLP to be like, why the heck did they only do five trials? You know, it, and, and it stinks to be the one that's wondering why they only did that many, Right. Oh, and then and then on the flip side for for modifieds, I actually had a patient yesterday. I did a modified yesterday on a patient that they aspirated once on every consistency. So we did three trials of thin, beautiful swallow twice, horrible disorganized swallow aspiration once. Same thing with nectar, same thing with honey. And we just couldn't seem to figure out, you know, what's the pattern here? What what is is there any strategies we can do? It We weren't able to do the study long enough to feel like we could really get the results. So I feel like that study 
left me with more questions than answered than answers because you know radiology was saying hey you know we've got to wrap this study up we've been doing it for too long and it's like crap you know so so that absolutely does um you know interrupt the validity of the test but again all we can do is go by what we saw and you know i mean we were honest with the other SLP that this is what happened right. and yeah so so luckily there was a lot of family involvement and you know they were able to make a decision they they had decisions you know pretty much decided depending on the results anyways so yeah it it absolutely is tough and i wanted to ask you one thing on there so again i'm going off what what i see or my colleagues see so this isn't purely objective data right yep it's not very often that i receive a swallow instrumental that will say we did an effortful swallow and you know so now we recommend that or we did a controlled swallow or we did a chin tuck so do you think again that comes under the time constraints because for me i would love to know sometimes yeah you often get it says small bite small sip pauses in between okay well those are things we could do anyway yeah. right yeah but we want to know was an effortful swallow beneficial or was this helpful or was that, do you know what I mean? That you yep. saw under that objective testing. Yep. I, I think, again, there's a few different answers to this. I think number one, it's tough when you don't know the patient and you don't have the information on the patient. Sometimes we're sort of making right. guess cognitively on the patient. If we, if we recommend a chin tuck, will this patient be able to remember to do it every time anyways? You know, that's sort of a big thing for me is, Sure, we can recommend a bunch of strategies, but if the patient doesn't have the cognitive capacity or the memory to remember to do them and no one's going to sit with them every meal, then it's sort of a moot point to put them on that right. strategy. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's sort of my line of thinking. But sure. on the flip side of sure. that, I think for therapeutic reasons, it could be very beneficial. So if we do see, yes, the chin tuck is effective and the treating SLP can work with them and, and maybe, you know, maybe it's a Maybe it's a med management issue why their, you know, attention or cognition is not not up to par. But yeah, there, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I think I, I think the overarching theme here is that, and my, you know, my wish for all is that the treating SLP and the one doing either the fees or the or the modified can have some sort of communication ahead of time and say, hey, you know, we've been trialing a chin tuck. Can you do it under fluoro? Let me know how that looks or, hey, a heads up, this patient, you know, memory is is really poor. Um, they're really not going to be able to try any strategies. So, you know, or they're not going to be able to carry over any strategies. So it might not be worth doing it. So I think having that open dialogue helps a lot. But I do very much understand what you're saying, that it's tough to be the treating SLP with the what if questions like, well, what if they tried this at, you know, my right. grade or. Because um, yeah. I, yeah, I also think on there that if you. You know, the joke is that in skilled nursing, everyone from the nursing to the doctors do use chin tuck, use chin yeah, tuck. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then it was, I don't remember the article, but it says to chin tuck or not to, it was a yeah, really yeah. good article. And they're saying basically, well, 50% of the time it may be beneficial and 50% of the time it may be detrimental. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that under an objective test, why are you using chin tuck? Absolutely. I mean, you don't really know what you're, what it's doing. Yep. Now, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, having that discussion. And I think absolutely talking with your SLPs, acute care and, and skilled nursing and getting together can be very beneficial. But I got myself in a little sticky water one time because I had um, 
a patient that had a lot of cognitive issues, TBI history. And so he actually ended up going out for multiple modifieds. And I sent detailed notes because I, I wanted him to have his best opportunity. And I knew there were tremendous behavioral challenges. <laughs> I didn't hear, I didn't get the things I was asking for when I would receive back the reports, I didn't see that they were done. Like I said, well, could you try using, you know, not a sippy cup, we could say the cup with a spouted lid so we can reduce bolus flow because he guzzles and things like that. And then a year later, I I heard through the grapevine that the therapist has said, he's not going to tell me what to do. (laughs) And I was like, my aim was to give you, to give you information to help the patient so sometimes I guess I don't know it that kind of backfired a little bit but I thought it would be beneficial yeah that's where patients have to come before our ego because yeah so that's all I'll say about that And that's our wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.